0: couple weeks ago, I began this mini-series called Encounters with God, Encountering God. And uh, to me, I'm finding out from people, I'm having a lot of conversations, this is a huge topic. This is a topic where um, our neighbors, our friends, those who don't do the church thing, all that stuff, they have concepts of who they think God is. And Let's just say, I'll bet you, just like us, we're growing in our understanding of who God is. And so the pictures are incomplete or flat out wrong sometimes. So I'd like to continue showing us how God sees us. I think the first time we talked about what's God's response to us all, and there was a universal picture of what God has done for humanity, how he loves everybody, and that kind of a thing. Uh, Then we're going to get into, I don't think we're going to get there today, what's God's response to certain individuals? How did he respond in certain specific circumstances and some of the stories that have been given to us through the Bible? And then lastly, what are our responses back to the love of God and what that can look like. And Some of us may not know how to respond, so let's learn from the Scriptures how to respond back to God. You know, some people, if you've grown up in church, you think it's obvious. But if you've got no concept of, of church or the Bible or anything like that, you may not have a clue. In fact, this whole Iranian church thing has really got me excited. Uh, when I was there last, they they never heard God is the same. Jesus is the same as the Father. First time they ever heard that. They did not know Jesus is the Creator. God used Jesus to do creation. They didn't know that. They they didn't know why Jesus died because they're told Jesus was a good prophet. And they didn't realize that he was actually killed because he declared his divinity. He declared his oneness with his father, and that enraged the Jews. So if these folks come from a background that is not Western churched, (laughs) imagine the basics. Like I always think we have the basics, we teach the basics of who we are in Christ. It's got to be even more basic than that. It's back to Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's the supreme basics. We can't ever get away from that. I'm afraid, and I've been guilty of this sometimes we overthink theology. While theology is critically important, if it doesn't affect our lives and how we treat people, all your head knowledge is useless. You can be theologically right, but there's zero application where you're not living it out useless, absolutely useless. So I want to show you more and more pictures of how God sees us and how he's given us everything we need. Let's take a look at a continuation from last week. To those who need love. Remember last week we ended off with, for those who are in grief and need help and care, we talked about tears and and how he even records our tears and and stores them up in a bottle as in in one of the poetic uh, stories in in Psalms. That is the, the passionate love of God towards us. But then we come across this. There are many who need love, but what is love? We hear about love all the time, especially Valentine's Day. Hey, I love you. You know, and guys, when they say I love you, it means one thing. Uh, when a girl says it, it means another, maybe. And, and yet we have one word called love, as in I love my wife, I love burgers. How is that the same? It's not, but it's the same word. So there's a problem here with understanding the definition of love. This goes in the dating relationships too. People say, I love you. Well, what's the baseline? What is the definition of love? Doing stuff for them? Or maybe there's a much better definition of what real love is. And using those words carefully. 1 Corinthians is probably the best picture of love. In fact, in the original languages in Greek, they used four different words that we've translated into English as love. Storge which is a parental kind of love. Uh, so parents love their kids. You know, storge, that's the kind of the essence of it. I'm giving the shortened version of it. Then they have phileo, fish. No, just kidding. Phileo, which is a friendship love. You love your bro, you love your sis, you love your, your buddy, your, you know, whatever. That, that's a, a phileo love. A different word. Then they have eros. Get the word erotic from. Go down your own trail on that one. But that's, that's, the, that's the expression more sensual love. Then we come to the word actually used here. The word is agape. The word agape is hardly ever used. This is the description of who God is. That he is love. And by the way, our human love, we think, well, I'm just just loving as a human. All love finds its source in the divine, in the creator. If you have the capacity to love, it is because you were created that way. You didn't come up with it on your own. You may be living out a distorted definition of love, but the true baseline love, that's God's love that he's given you, giving you the capacity to love others. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 13, because this is what love is to look like. So if you say, yeah, we love each other, well, okay, let's look at this. This is, by the way, not the to-do list. I grew up believing if husbands and wives, this is what you ought to do. This is what you have to do. This is proof you might, this becomes the to-do list, which becomes what? A new LAW, law. And what law does, anytime you put rules on people, there's a, want to break them. They just, what paint? Really? <laughs> You know, we do that. That's the way it is. You put a, um, a jar of water on, or a bowl of water on the back table and say, don't put your finger in it with a sign, guess what the kids are going to do? They will put somebody's going to, or they'll dare somebody to do it. They're going to do it. So if this becomes the to-do list and not, um, well, if it becomes the to-do list, there's no way we can keep this perfect because now it becomes a club. Because in a relationship when things aren't right, oh yeah, Keeps a record of wrongs. You can't keep a record. You have to forgive me. You know, and you kind of use it as an um, uh, unloving rule. This is internal. This is for you and I to internally focus on and think, okay, is the original love in me, agape, how is it coming out? And this is pretty interesting. Love is patient and kind. We're not talking about just lovey-dove relationships, marriages and girlfriend-boyfriend stuff, nothing like that. This is love for humanity, your neighbor, the people you can't stand. It is still patient and kind. I have a long ways to go when it comes to applying that to my driving habits. But it's still true regardless of how how I express it, right? Right? It's a good lesson for me. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud. Real love does not want to boast about itself because it's never self-centered. It's always other-centered, which is one of the definitions of what agape is. It's others-centered, never self-seeking. That is almost literally the definition of agape. Agape. It's not rude. Huh. Love does not demand its own way. And this one's hard. We all want our own way. Our culture is based on being, being in control. To yield control to your spouse, to your boss, teacher, parent, parent to kids, submitting to kids. Hey, there, there are times we, we, we will have to do that. We're modeling leadership in love. Huh does not demand its own way. (laughs) Love's not irritable. I know a lot of people are very irritable. And the irritability has a source. There's something else going on there. So be careful in misjudging somebody who is irritable. There's a reason for it. Always is. You just may not be privy to it. But love is not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wrong. That one's hard. Oh my goodness. By the way, this is how God loves us. This is exactly how God loves us. He is patient and kind. He is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. He does not demand his own way. What is that? What what does that mean? God doesn't demand his own way? How does that apply? I think from what I am coming to see uh, as I get to know my Heavenly Father and I get to know Jesus and the Holy Spirit better and better, there's a submission that God does to us the Trinity has submitted even at the cross. Using who we are, how he's one, created us, made us one with him. He doesn't demand his own way. He guides and directs us. He's gentle. He's not leading with a heavy hammer, but rather a guiding shepherd, leading, directing. It's not about the tyrant. And it keeps no record of when of being wronged. This one's hard. Just because you may not forget a wrong to you does not mean this is not possible. Keeping a record means you're building up, meaning you're not forgiving. Unforgiveness is the building up of records. When you borrow money from the bank, they build up a record of your debts, and they keep track fully. Fully and then add on, and add on, and tack on, and more, all that stuff. It's how it works, but that's not how it works with agape. It keeps no record of our wrongs. They have been forgiven. That's huge. Your Heavenly Father is not keeping a record of your wrongs. You may be, and then beating yourself up with false guilt, but that's not agape. This is not your Heavenly Father doing that. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. That's really going to help in our political culture today, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Ah, they got what he got coming for him, oh. and we make fun of uh, people that have fallen. And ah, serves them right is the common term, and you begin to pick on people that have fallen. Mm-mm. Agape does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. When true justice comes in, and we are not talking about our legal justice system, which is based on a Roman system, a Greco-Roman system, which is about payback. That's the justice of our land. If you're a cop or you're a lawyer or you work in the court system, that's the system. Don't use that as your definition of biblical justice because it is incorrect. A Hebrew biblical description of biblical justice is not payback, but it's putting back to the way it should be. Restoration. That's more beautiful. That's more agape, actually. (laughs) Love never gives up Do you know what this says? God, your Heavenly Father, will never give up on you. An absolute impossibility. Even when you think he's distant or if he feels distant from you. Never gives up. Never loses faith. Is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Are you in a tough circumstance right now? Do you know somebody who is? His love is with you right now in it, whether you feel it or not. But I tell you, the more you begin to believe it, your antenna of God, where's God then? The antenna goes up and you suddenly, oh, there it is. I see it. I never saw it before. The awareness of God being with you and enduring through every circumstance. No matter how dark, no matter how painful, he'll never abandon us. He walks through the pain with us, holding you up, being your support. My goodness, he might even use others to become part of that healing process. When you're in despair, not knowing what to do, and somebody says, here, what about this? Can I help with this? Or can I offer you this? That's God in human form loving and walking through it with you, not abandoning you. I love that. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Some people don't want to read that verse. (laughs) But all the spiritual disciplines and All those things, they will become useless, but agape lasts forever because God lasts forever and you have been made one with agape. That's pretty cool. Let's read this from the Passion Translation because now you kind of know what this verse is. I want you to hear it from another translation to see how this one hits your heart. (laughs) Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessings come to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect nor selfishly seeks its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. Love never stops loving. It extends beyond the gift of prophecy, which will eventually fade away. It's more enduring than tongues, which will one day fall silent. Love remains long after words of knowledge are forgotten. How's that for a translation? If you grew up in one translation, all you read is one, you've got to spread your wings a bit. Read outside of just one. God is still revealing things to people today. There isn't just one lens to see. After all, 45,000 denominations can't all be wrong. <laughs> Each one says, We're the right church. We're the real church. We're the only church. Wait a minute. Love. It's not about division, it's about unity. Un- not necessarily unity in similar thinking but in unity of agape, the love of God. Because we are going to disagree on stuff. We're going to see things from different perspectives. But this, that was pretty clear. This affects every single day of our lives if we let it. You can leave here today, and that was nice, and just go on your merry way, and it affects nothing. That's fine. But you won't benefit from the blessing of that being lived out. But if you focus on this and meditate on this and think about this and ponder this, read it over and over and over again for try it for a couple of weeks. Just just think through each of the words. What does it mean? Imagine what will happen to your mind and your actions and your outlook to those around you. It's a healthy practice. What's the most frequent piece of information you pop into your mind every day, constantly? Is it the news? Is it Facebook? Is it the radio? What is the the most frequent piece of info coming at you all day? If it's negative, constantly negative, guess what? It is affecting you. Meditate on this and change your mind First of all, of how God sees you, because he's just laid it out in a love letter to you. God has given you his love. We talk about Father's Day and gifts and Mother's Day gifts and all that stuff, we do the gift thing, and sometimes I think it's really overkill. Let's just show respect and appreciation, that's nice. But your Father in heaven actually set the tone. He's already blessed you, given you gifts. Are you aware of them? Do you know you have been blessed already? Ephesians 1, 3-4 in the New Living Translation says, All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world... Ooh, wait, what? I can't say that. It does. Even before he made the world... God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Whew. What if we begin thinking like God, the way he sees us? I think we're going to start seeing a lot less self-hate. One of the big... I saw a, a, a quote from Bill Murray on Facebook that I thought was powerful. I think Terry Clare put it up, yeah. It something to do with... Um, Facebook is hurting our relationships more and more because it's being used as a tool to compare. Compare yourself with others when that's not what life is all about. I forgot the quote, but it's a wake-up call. How about compare? If you're going to do that, why don't you go to the real source, not fake news? Why don't you go to the real source, your God who made you and loves you, see how he sees you, and start believing that. It'll affect your health. It'll affect your circumstances. It'll affect your attitude. It'll affect all of your relationships. All of them. Hmm. Has blessed us. That's past tense. That's done. It's ongoing, now finished. Let's read it from another translation. Every spiritual blessing in heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful Heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, all because He sees us wrapped into Christ. This is why we celebrate Him with all our hearts. If your perception of human love is what you're defining your love as, and yet God has defined his definition of love. Go with his. You may have a distorted perspective, but the baseline is Christ. After all, he gave you everything you need. It's there. You have the capacity. And he chose us to be his very own, joining us to himself even before he laid the foundation of the universe. Because of his great love, he ordained us, or marked us with his love, set us apart, predestined us, so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes with an unstained innocence. How crazy would it be for you to see yourself with an unstained innocence before God right now? If you don't see it It's because you've chosen to believe something that's not true. I suggest you go for the truth instead. Renew your mind. Replace those thoughts. Start to see how God sees you. I promise, as you begin to believe what he says about us, you'll begin to live like what you believe. Because right now, if you feel yourself as shameful, no good, incomplete, can't do anything right... You will believe it, and you will live out the very thing you believe. Don't live out something that's not true. Live out who you really are. Trust His Word, your Creator. When something goes wrong with your car, uh, especially if a dash thing comes up, and you wonder, what's that? I've never seen that one before. Oh, it's not important. That's what some guys will do. But I'm just kidding. (laughs) But what do you do? The first thing, what's the first thing you try to do if you can? What's a rational thing? Okay, what's the rational thing to do? Anybody know? Oh, please, come on. Get it serviced or you look it up. You look up in the man they used to have manuals. <laughs> and you look up what are the it shows you the lights? Oh, that's what it's for. You look up what the instruction manual that was given by the creator of the vehicle. And it tells you what the needs of the vehicle are and what these signals mean. Because that's the way it was created. You have been created wonderfully. You are Christ's creation. You are beautiful, amazing, delightful to God, regardless of your behavior promise, if you're concerned about your behavior, it will change once you start to see what I'm showing you. You start to believe it. I'm not making this stuff up. This is not positive talk. It's truth talk, which happens to be positive. Need wisdom? You've already got it. He has showered his kindness on us, along with all wisdom and understanding. Now, I try to you know, tap into some of that once in a while. I don't always get it right. Sometimes it takes somebody else speaking into me who can see the wisdom faster than me. You know, that's kind of what marriage is, right? <laughs> anyway, it's um, kind of how it works. God has given us all wisdom. You can trust because Christ lives in you and he's the source of all wisdom, he's given himself to you, therefore you have it all. You lack nothing. You don't even have to pray, God, give me more wisdom. How about pray, clarify the wisdom in me. Give me the insight. Because then you're praying an affirming truth prayer saying, it is already in me. Show me. When we pray, give me, give me to God, we're saying, you didn't give me enough. I lack. What's the problem with that? You lack nothing. You may think you do, but you lack nothing. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you, I love this, spiritual wisdom and insight, so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. This means we will continue to grow. None of us have arrived at the full knowledge of God. There's constant growing, shaping, shifting, deleting of stuff that's not true that we thought it might have been and, and the correct truth comes in. And it, God's so gentle with us that way. He's so kind, patient with us. He's not going to shove himself on us, but he's going to reveal himself and as our hunger grows, which he gives us, we'll be responding to that. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. He's given you this wisdom. He gives us life, the very life you have. It's a gift. Talk about a Father's Day gift. <laughs> this is awesome. Even That even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. While we were dead, he gave us life. You had nothing to do with it. Just like you had nothing to do with your birth, you're um, a result. <laughs> no say in the matter at all. You were given life. You've been given life. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive. Together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. That's a big Father's Day gift. He gives you a new identity. Ephesians 2:10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. It doesn't say you're a piece of work, it says you're a masterpiece. I promise there are people who think they're a piece of work and so ingrained. They may have been told that for a long time from people who are hurting themselves, as in they're hurting people, struggling with their own stuff, but out spews hate, we hear it, and then we believe it. And yet the source of the lie is from somebody also delusioned with an incomplete picture. The people who are speaking negatively into your life reject the lie. Those who are saying hurtful things and acting as if you are a nothing. My brother used to tell me that. He called me a nothing for most of my life. You are a nothing. Imagine what that does to your head for years and years and years. And everything else was proven because I couldn't do anything right. Those life messages affect us but they do not define who we are. They just define how we function while listening and believing something that is untrue. It's time to change the station. And it's time for us to be careful with our words and what we say to one another, especially to our children. Every word matters. And kindness, when we react in anger, I grew up in a home where the reaction was instant anger. So... My mom says, I love you. I do this because I love you. Well, don't love me so much. You know, I got spanked and hit and you name it. But that was not Christ. (laughs) We have become, I love this. So same verse, verse 10, we've become God's masterpiece. This word here, poetry, is what this really means. Listen to this. We have become his poetry. A recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one, even before we were born. God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. Each of you has a destiny and its source is in Christ. One way or another. You're clean. I love this gift. 2 Peter 1, 8-9. The more you grow like this, and there's a big list, you guys probably remember me talking about it several times. This leads to this, to this, to this, to this. But the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you'll become in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, if you want to know what that means and how to become more productive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, go back and read this first part, which we've done many times here. Don't have time for it today. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. Many people feel unproductive and useless when it comes to the Word of God, knowing God, helping, loving one another, ministering to one another. Folks, you've just simply forgotten that's all it is. You are clean. You are forgiven. That's a fact. Objective fact. But if you don't believe it, subjectively, you could feel you're not forgiven. That doesn't change the truth. I think that's it. Yep. Yeah, we'll come back to that. Galatians 2.20 is really cool. How your father sees you, your heavenly father, even if your earthly father was terrible... Or incomplete, or not getting it right, or your earthly mother, irrelevant. You still have a heavenly parent who is perfect. That's where you go for your picture of how to love. I know people who've been raised in horrific homes, and they're amazing parents. They've discovered the love of God as the source, not their pattern that's been displayed for them growing up your past is not who you are. It's where you've come from. You choose today to still write your future. You still can. It's not over. It's not too late. Will you please believe what God says about you? If you've got a negative radio station going on inside, ask God to turn it down or off and to, to reveal to you how crazy he really is about you. And you may have to relish in that for a year or two or more before you truly believe it. That's what this church is about. To keep reminding, keep focused on that so people can cultivate and replace the long history of false beliefs and replace it with a good one. That's my prayer for all of you. Will you please bow your heads in a word of prayer with me. Heavenly Father, thank you that you loved us so much. And thanks for saying it so many times in the scriptures, for getting somebody to write it down so we could have it recorded in written form and believe it today. I pray that your Holy Spirit, who holds us together, will remind us, especially in those dark moments of despair depression, fear, toxic relationships, that you be the one who reveals your gentleness in us and gives us hope and peace inside, regardless if our circumstances are terrible. Be our hope, be our light, our life, and thank you that you love us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.